morning. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd like you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians is a book where we learn much about the church at Corinth. It was a church plagued with problems, and as we work through those problems, we can make application to ourselves. It's kind of surprising that we also learn much in this book about the Apostle Paul as he deals, deals with the church at Corinth. And we learn about his actions and his attitudes as he deals with them. And already in 1 Corinthians, he has depicted himself in a number of ways. He has depicted himself as a servant. In fact, he uses three words to depict himself that way. In chapter 3, verse 5, it's a word for servant that means a busboy who waits on tables. In chapter 4 and verse 1, it's a, it's a word for servant that means an under rower who was down in the belly of the ship just doing his menial job of rowing. And then also in chapter 4 and verse 1, he uses that word for a servant of a steward who doesn't really own anything. He just takes care of what belongs to his master and distributes it to God's people. In chapter 3 and verse 6, he uses the metaphor of a farmer. He's just planting and watering in God's field. In chapter 3 and verse 10, he uses the metaphor of a builder. And so we see these insights into the Apostle Paul. And in our passage this morning, verses 14 to 21 of chapter 4, Paul presents himself in still another way to the Corinthians. He uses a much more intimate metaphor. And that's the metaphor of a father to his children. Now Paul has been coming down hard on the Corinthians. He's been wailing on them for their divisions. In fact, in the verses we looked at last week in verse 8, he even resorted to sarcasm. And so, so now he stops to tell them why he's being so stern. And that's because he's their father, spiritually speaking. And as such, he has a great personal responsibility and a loving concern for their, their well-being. You know, in 3 John 4, the Apostle John showed us his fatherly response. He said, I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. And of course, that's the positive side of fathering. It's wonderful to be a father when your children are obedient. But Paul here shows us the negative side of being a father because all of his children are not walking in the truth. Look at verse 14 of chapter 4. He says, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. He says, I've written some tough things to you, but I've done it because I'm your father. And you might have 10,000 teachers or tutors, but you only have one father. And the implication of that is that I have a special concern for you. I have a special bond with you. Paul is saying, I'm more than just your servant. I'm more than just your teacher. I'm more than just your steward. I care for you as a spiritual father. Now, what is a spiritual father supposed to do? 
what are the marks? What are the characteristics of a spiritual father? Well, I want us to pick those out in our passage this morning. You know, a lot of people today talk about discipleship and how should you do discipleship and how do you take a young Christian and help bring that young Christian to maturity. And there's a whole lot of different ideas and a whole lot of suggestions out there. But what I want to do this morning is just look into the life of the Apostle Paul as he expresses his heart in this passage. And I want us to pick out the marks of a spiritual father. I have picked out six of them and they're listed in your bulletin. Number one, he reproduces. Look at verse 15 again. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. The King James Version has that there, I have begotten you. And that's that word we see in the genealogies in Scripture often. So-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so. Well, Paul says, I begot you. I am your spiritual father because I led you to Christ. And that's where it starts. To be a father, you must first have a child. If you don't have a child, you're not a father. You may be a man, you may be a husband, but you're not a father. And the same thing applies to a spiritual father. In order to be a spiritual father, you must have a spiritual child. You must lead another person to Jesus Christ. Now, there are some Christians who have never become spiritual fathers. There are some Christians who have never led another person to Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, that is not God's intention for you. That is not the norm. All Christians should be reproducing. They should be having offspring. Now, Paul was a spiritual father to the Corinthians. When we go to Acts chapter 18, we read about that. It says, he came to Corinth... He stayed with Aquila and Priscilla. He began to preach the gospel. And in verse 8, it says, Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, was saved, along with many others. And then Paul had a vision telling him not to be fearful because God had many other children in the town of Corinth. And so many were saved as a result of the preaching of Paul. He led many to Christ. He went to Galatia and preached in Antioch and Derbe and Lystra and Iconium. He started churches there. And when he writes to the Galatians in chapter 4 and verse 19, he calls them my children. In Philemon 10, he refers to Onesimus as the one I have begotten in my imprisonment. He refers to Timothy as my son and Titus as my son. In fact, in this same passage down in verse 17, he refers to Timothy as my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. Paul had many spiritual children. Now, how do you become a spiritual father? How do you beget children spiritually? Well, look at verse 15. Paul says, At the end of the verse, for in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. And I think those two phrases tell us a lot. It's the power is in Christ Jesus. Remember back in chapter 1 and verse 30? 
Paul has talked in this passage about the gospel and how it's foolishness to the world. He's talked about how God has chosen the foolish things to shame the wise things. And then he kind of sums it up in verse 29. He says, so that no man may boast before God. And then he says this in verse 30. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. It's his doing. You young people talked about the Holy Spirit this week. It's all about the Holy Spirit when a person is saved. That's the power. And then he tells us about the instrument. He says it's the gospel. In 1 Peter 1.23, we read, You have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and abiding Word of God. The seed for salvation is the Word of God, and the spiritual Father implants that seed. Now, I think sometimes we are guilty of getting too sovereign in our thinking about salvation. And oftentimes we are guilty of assuming that God is going to save people with or without us. Let me tell you something. That is not God's design. And that is not biblical thinking. Romans 10.13 says, Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved... And then he says in the next verse, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? Jesus said in Matthew 9, 38, therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to save people? No. Beseech or ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. You see, it's true that it's only by God's power that a person is safe. And it's true that it's only by the gospel that a person is saved. But it's also true that God has chosen to use us to bring people to Christ. And so we have a responsibility to be actively sharing the gospel. We have the responsibility of begetting spiritual children by planting the seed of the gospel in their lives. And believe me, it's rewarding. When I go to the hospital after uh, you've had babies and I see the father at the hospital, and he's usually tired and exhausted. Not saying the wife isn't. But he's tired and exhausted. But I never see anybody happier. Uh, There's one sitting right back there with his baby in his hands. Nobody happier than a father who's just had a child. And, And you might say, you know, it doesn't get any better than that. Well, it does get better than that. Because what's more exciting than having a physical baby is having a spiritual baby. To actually be involved in the process of seeing someone come to eternal life is the most thrilling thing that can happen to a person. Now here at this church, we are committed to our nursery. We continue to expand our nursery. If you've got older kids and you haven't seen our nursery, you need to go back there. We keep knocking out walls and making it bigger and bigger, and pretty soon uh, it'll take over. You know, because we love young families, and we realize the importance of our nursery. Physically, we have a great nursery. 
spiritually, one of the reasons we built such a big auditorium is because we want spiritual babies too. So I think we're doing pretty good on the physical nursery. I would challenge us in the area of our spiritual nursery. You see, it's real simple. If every one of you became a spiritual father this year, we'd be having to break out walls in this place. That's all it takes. Every one of us taking the responsibility to be a spiritual father, and we would double our size. That's the challenge I would put in front of you, to be a spiritual father. And so the first mark of a spiritual father is that he reproduces. But obviously there's more to being a father than just having a baby. That's only the beginning. You ever seen the plaque that says, any man can produce a child, it takes a special man to be a father. So it starts with reproducing, but notice there's a second aspect he loves. Verse 14, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. That word beloved is the Greek word agapete. From the word agape. It's the deepest kind of love. It's God's love. Paul loved the Corinthians with a self-sacrificing love that was expecting nothing in return. I think he describes that love in 2 Corinthians 12, 15. Here's what he says. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. I will gladly spend everything I've got in fact, I will spend myself and I will continue to love you even when you don't love me in return. That's the kind of love a spiritual father must have because you have to make those kind of sacrifices for another person. You have to spend anything you have, your time, your money, your energy. You have to spend yourself, sacrifice yourself, and even when you get, don't get love in return... You have to continue to love. A spiritual father loves. Third characteristic, he admonishes. Again, verse 14. I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you. Now, he didn't write 1 Corinthians so that they would be shamed. He didn't want them cowering down. He didn't want them to be like whipped puppies. He says, I've done it to admonish you. That word means to warn it means to criticize in love with a view toward change. It's the idea of correcting. Remember when Samuel was dedicated at the temple? He was left at the temple with the priest whose name was Eli. And Eli is an example to us of a bad father. And the problem with Eli was that he did not admonish his sons. 1 Samuel 3.13 says, His sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. He did not reprove them. He did not rebuke them. He did not admonish them. In fact, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And when they made the Septuagint, the word they used in Greek there is the same word that's used in the New Testament, in, right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 14, the word to admonish. Eli's sons became vile because he, the father, did not admonish them. 
and God cursed Eli's household because of it. God expects fathers to admonish, to correct their children, and the same is required of spiritual fathers. If I see you doing something wrong, it's my responsibility to admonish you, to correct you, to lovingly come to you and say, this is wrong, it needs to be changed. That's not easy. It's easier to ignore it. But a loving father, spiritually speaking, takes that responsibility. Let me ask you something. What kind of father won't correct his children? Well, I would say a father who doesn't love them. A loving father, a responsible spiritual father, will admonish, will correct. Colossians 1.28 tells us that Paul admonished every man so that he might present every man complete in Christ. That's really the goal of admonishing. It's not to shame somebody, not to embarrass somebody. It's to bring that person to Christ likeness. And so a spiritual father will admonish. So what does a spiritual father do? He reproduces, he loves, he admonishes. Fourthly, he demonstrates. Notice verse 16. Therefore I exert, exhort you, be imitators of me. That word imitator is a Greek, is a Greek word mimitai from which we get our word mimic. Paul set the example. He demonstrated what he wanted them to be. And the reason he could say, imitate me, is because later in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1, he says this, be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. You imitate me because I am imitating Christ. So he could say, just follow and I think this is probably the most important characteristic of a spiritual father. Someone says to you, here's the principles, here are the directions, just do these. And you look at him and he's not doing them. What's going to happen? You're probably going to throw all of that out the window. You see, he's not doing you a favor, he's actually hindering you by not being an example. An effective spiritual father is a walking illustration of the principles that he's presenting. He is living the life that he is advocating. And then notice verse 17. For this reason, what reason? Because I want you to be imitators of me, I have sent to you Timothy. Because I want you to imitate me, I have sent to you Timothy. You say, what? You, you want us to imitate you and you've sent Timothy. What, why did you send Timothy? Well, look at the rest of verse 17. Because I want you to imitate me, I've sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ. Here is the ultimate example of effective spiritual fatherhood. You see, Paul has done such a good job of rearing Timothy that he can send Timothy to the church at Corinth, and it's just like coming himself. He says, he is, a, he is my beloved child. He is faithful in the Lord, 
and he will remind you of all my doctrine. Is that what he says? No, he will remind you of all my ways. What ways? Which are in Christ. Now get this. The ways are in Christ, and then those ways are transferred to Paul, and then Paul transfers those same ways to his child, Timothy. So when they saw Timothy's ways, they would see Paul's ways, which would be Christ's ways. That's good. Let me ask you a question. As a spiritual father, would you be satisfied to duplicate yourself? Would you be happy if you said, my spiritual children are just like me? Kind of a scary thought for some of us. But that should be true because we should be imitators of Christ. And then fifthly, he teaches. Notice the end of verse 17. He will remind you of my ways which are in Christ just as I teach everywhere in every church. <clears throat> when Timothy comes, he's going to remind you of my ways. He's going to remind you of my principles which aren't unique to you. He says, I teach them everywhere. That's good. Now here's really the uh, discipleship in a nutshell. You live the principles. You teach the principles. And you reproduce the principles in someone else. And so a spiritual father must be able to teach. But I want you to notice, it's not relative truth. It's not cultural truth. It is absolute truth because it is the same everywhere. Now let me just say one thing about teaching. Keep it simple. You know, and I don't, I don't mean by that you, that you don't have to know anything. In fact, I think you need to know more to keep it simple. I watched James the week before camp, and he was studying and studying, and he kept coming to my office and saying, how do I get this teaching about the Holy Spirit simple enough so they'll understand? See, he worked harder to make it simpler. My dad used to say, anybody can take a complex subject and make it sound complex. So you've got to really understand a complex subject to make it simple. If you want to realize how little you know, just try to communicate what you think you know to little children. Go volunteer in our nursery, our children's church. Sign up for VBS this week and go in and take all your knowledge and try to communicate that to a child because they're tough. And sometimes they ask tough questions. Like, how can Jesus be in my heart and be in heaven at the same time? Well, he's omnipresent. That answer doesn't work. See, you have to struggle to make it simple. I think oftentimes the, the greatest lesson in learning how to be simple is to communicate truth to a little child. The goal of our teaching is not to impress people with how much we know. 
It's to instill that truth in them. And then sixthly, he disciplines. Sometimes a spiritual father has to confront his spiritual child in a stronger way. Sometimes they get out of line, and if so, there are times when discipline has to be applied. And Paul deals with that in the remaining verses in this chapter. Look at verse 18. He says, Now some have become arrogant as though I were not coming to you. Some were all puffed up and saying, You know what? The Apostle Paul isn't coming back to Corinth. He talks about coming, but he'll never come. And then verse 19, But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I shall find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. Paul says, I am coming, Lord willing, and I'm going to find out who's all talk and who's not. See, when I get there, I'm not going to just check out words. I'm going to check out power. Some of you talk a good game. I'm going to find out who's real. And then verse 20, he says, For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. That's a great verse. Reality with God is not demonstrated in elaborate speech. It's demonstrated in the Spirit's power in your life. It's demonstrated when you fizzle. And people can see that. Fizzle, is that the word? Fizz? Well, fizzle is actually fizzing real hard. So it's demonstrated when you fizz real hard. Verse 21. He says, what do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? You ever say to your kids, I'm coming in there in two minutes. You decide whether I bring the rod or not. That's kind of what he's saying. I'm, I'm coming soon, Lord willing. When I get there, it's really up to you guys. I mean, I can bring the rod and start spanking everybody. Or I can come in a spirit of love and meekness. So in other words, I'm going to give you a little opportunity to get your act together. And I really want to come as a father who comes and embraces you. But I may have to put the rod in my back pocket and pull it out when I get there. Discipline. So in this passage, we see Paul unbear his heart, and we see the spiritual father. He reproduces, he loves, he admonishes, he demonstrates, he teaches, and he disciplines. And I would like to challenge us this morning to follow the example of Paul, to imitate him. And as I said earlier, just take on ourselves the challenge that this year I'm going to share the gospel with people. This year my goal is to have a spiritual child. And as a result of that, we as a church will be expanding our nursery to help those people grow in the Lord. I'm going to have Olivia come forward. Where are you at, Olivia? Thank you, dear. Olivia, you come up here. Olivia Smith. I'm going to have Patrick take Olivia, if you would. Let me get you up here with your wet hair so they can see you. Right over here. There you go. Just, just turn around and look at them and smile. 
There you go. Yeah. Now I have Patrick to lead her out to the lobby while we're praying, and then after we get done praying, you're dismissed, and I'll give you the opportunity to encourage her. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage this morning, this passage of Scripture where you're speaking to us. And Lord, I just thank you for the insights that we have here into Paul's life and how he viewed his ministry to people. And Father, I pray that we would be challenged by what he said to these people who were young in Christ, some of whom even disobedient in the Lord, and to see the heart that he had. And Lord, I pray that we would truly be people who become spiritual fathers who bring others to Christ and invest our lives in them in such a way that we see them growing to become the kind of people you want them to be. That's the most important thing in life because only two things are going to come out of this world, your word and people. We pray that we would truly be those who invest in your word and invest in people for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name.